0: Welcome back, everyone. I'm Sarah Peck, and this is the Startup Pregnant Podcast. Today, we get to dig into topics that I love talking about. Mental health, advocacy, parenting, of course, and how to start up a new business on the side of a job that you have that you may not want forever. Our guest today works a job at Starbucks. And they are also hustling to build a business on the side, on the off days, the other days. Although they would say it's the other way around, that they focus on building the business and they have Starbucks as the side hustle. We also get to have a deeper conversation about what it means to be a queer person in today's world, and specifically to be a masculine-presenting queer person who uses the pronouns they and them. Now, just like on the episode with Tracy and Karina, I'm living out loud, and as your host, I do make a few goofs and gaffes here when using the right pronoun, and we talk about it on the show. We use it as a great conversation starter. I'm not going to edit it out, although obviously it would be you know, cleaner and tighter if I did, but it's all in there because this is what life looks like, and it is what started many of our great conversations. Today's guest is Mason Aid. Mason is an LGBTQ educator and advocate focused on helping business owners be inclusive in their languages, in their processes, in their businesses. They grew up on a small farm in rural Missouri and have since moved to the teeming metropolis of Columbia, Missouri. They got their start working with LGBTQ teens and found passion through this work. Seeing the experiences and the lives of these amazing youth had a profound impact on Mason, and through their volunteer work, they found opportunities training educators and social service providers. They have since grown those opportunities into a business, working with entrepreneurs to help them avoid the accidental ass moments. Mason loves spending time with her wife and baby, going on walks, cooking good food, and being a pretentious coffee snob. Mason also hosts a podcast called All the Letters, It's a new show that's available in iTunes. So I can't wait to bring you today's episode. I loved having this conversation. And let's dig in to Mason on this show. Welcome to the Startup Pregnant Podcast, where we talk to creative leaders about what it means to be an entrepreneur and a parent. I'm your host, Sarah K. Peck. Life can be really unpredictable, especially when you're getting ready to add a baby to your life. The sponsor of this episode, Aeroflow Breast Pumps, is dedicated to making the hassle of getting your breast pump a little bit easier. Actually, a lot easier. Head to aeroflowbreastpumps.com startup to have them help you qualify for a free breast pump through insurance. And stick around because at the end of this episode, I'll walk you through how it works and tell you a little bit more of how Aeroflow Breast Pumps can save you so much time All right everyone, I have Mason Aid on the line. Mason, thank you for joining the show. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Oh, I am so excited to ask you so many questions. <laughs> so my favorite question to start with is what time did you wake up this morning and what did you do first?
1: I woke up at 420 this morning. And I rolled out of bed and panicked because I realized that my wife's car was parked behind mine in the driveway and I had to be sure to wake up with enough time to adjust our cars so that I could get my car out. And then, you know, the standard, get ready in about 10 minutes and go work at Starbucks for the day.
0: Mm. What time does your shift start? 5 a.m. 5 a.m. You woke up at what time? 4.20. <laughs> 4.20.
1: <laughs> I'm one of those, we can talk about privilege in the context of being a queer person and the lack of time I have to spend getting ready is a privilege that I have as a masculine presenting queer person.
0: Hmm. Oh, that's such an interesting way of saying it. I know what you mean. I feel the same way when I don't shower or wash my hair or put makeup on because I'm white with straight hair. That's what passes in this culture is beautiful. So I can get away with it.
1: Exactly. Like I woke up early for my 5am shift this morning by waking up at 420 instead of 430
0: to get ready. Mm. It's one of the reasons why podcasts are my favorite because I can do them in my pajamas. <laughs>
1: precisely, precisely.
0: <laughs> and there's less of a barrier to entry; like it's more accessible to so many more people. Minus the there's... listening and the audio nature and the speaking nature, of course. There's mm-hmm. always stuff in every pocket, which I'm sure we'll it's talk about. So true. So you work at Starbucks from 5 a.m. How long's your shift? Today I worked until 11 a.m.
1: Most days I work 5 to 1:30 or six 30 to three is kind of my standard shift. So
0: five days a week,
1: four days a week, three days a week. And then on Sunday nights, I work 2pm to 1030pm.
0: Gotcha.
1: So about 30 hours a
0: week. And did you sleep the whole night before?
1: I woke up twice with the baby. But my wife is nursing. So there's only so much I can do when the baby wakes up hungry. But I do what I can. So yeah, I was up twice, but not for very long.
0: Well, tell us about your kid. How old is your kid? Yeah, my little bug is 14 months old,
1: and she is insanely smart and hilarious and just a perfect little baby most of the time. <laughs> um, all of our friends are like, Oh my goodness, your baby is the happiest baby I've ever met. And I'm like, Yeah, except for when she's not. <laughs> it's like me. She's just, <laughs> exactly. Like, she's just the hugest extrovert. And so, anytime she's around people, She's really happy. So like when she's mad, I'm like, okay, we're going to the library. Okay, we're going to the grocery store. That's like her favorite thing in the world is to wave at people from the cart in the grocery store. So it's like immediate bad mood changer is just going to the grocery store.
0: That's so funny. My little one now, he goes, people, people. and he points at them and I'm like that's hilarious and he also points out like different colors of things on the subway and letters Uh he's like oh look pink and he'll point it out on people and I'm like this is going to be really interesting (laughs) once you start pointing out like more specifics of like how Uh people are different and how people are tall and small and big and I'm just getting ready for that conversation
1: yeah yeah
0: Right now we're in wading into that territory of like, yes, they have a pink hat on, you know, and oh, those uh-huh. are purple shoes. And I'm like, I feel like this is going to change quickly. And what do I say? And I guess this is a great question for you is, yeah. is have you thought about, of course you have, this is your business. You, <laughs> <laughs> Tell us what you've thought about like raising these conversations and having conversations that raise awareness.
1: I mean, I'm a new parent. I have one baby who's 14 months old. So from that experience, like, you know, I haven't had those conversations yet. But from all of my friends who I've talked to as I have started this business, you just have the conversation and you make it no big deal because in actuality, it really isn't a big deal. Oh, your friend, so-and-so, yeah, they have two moms and you have a mom and a dad. That's really cool that families look different sometimes. Mm -hmm. Or... You know, I have a friend who tells a story. One of her good friends is trans and came out when her kids were young. They had a talk, explained to their kids that, you know, this person was changing their name and that they're a boy now. And, you know, the older kid came back and was like, mommy, I have a question. And my friend was like, okay. And then it was, how do you spell their name? Yes. Yes. You know, kids don't have the emotional weight on stuff that we do. Right. You know, kids don't see it as a big deal unless we make it a big deal. And so, well, yeah, Ashby has two mommies, whatever. Or a mama and a may. Yeah, it's complicated. Gender, <laughs> Gender is fun.
0: <laughs> but they get it. And exactly. they know the difference in names. And actually, it was funny. Two of our friends are two mommies, mommy and mama. They always get asked, does your kid get confused by which one is the mom? And like, <laughs> my kid runs up to me and is like, daddy, I mean, mommy, daddy, daddy, like... Yeah, people make mistakes, like they get confused and also like it's the same for every. Anyway, I just found it hysterical. It it
1: cracks me up because like, Ashby is just starting to really talk, you know, like she's got some words, but she's really starting to like say our names. I'm May and my wife is Mama, but she started calling me Mama May and calling Hillary Milk Mama. (laughs) 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 Which is, you know, interesting for both of us, because it's like, well, I mean, you're not wrong. (laughs) Milk
0: mama. (laughs) Sorry, I love that so much. That's great. Isn't that
1: amazing? Like, Hillary's like, you realize that every time she refers to me, she makes the sign for milk and says my name and says mama. And I was like, yeah. (laughs) That's
0: great. Hey, milk mama. But back us up a little. Can you tell us about your parenting journey? Have you always known you wanted to be a parent? And how did it come about for you?
1: Okay, so I'm just gonna go way back because to really tell my parenting journey, yeah, you gotta go way back. My wife's a children's librarian, and insists that every good story starts with once upon a time. So, once upon a time, I was born with a different name than I have now, and grew up assuming that you know I would have a husband and a couple of kids and you know a white picket fence, all that jazz, and then when I was 17, I ended up in the hospital for self-harm and went home with a bipolar disorder diagnosis. So at that point I realized I would probably never biologically have kids because I'd have to go off of all of my medications and the next 7 years of my life were in and out of the hospital and on every medicine known to man and you know things finally settled down once I came out because I learned to love myself and stopped hating who I am but I had given up on ever having kids because I have bipolar disorder and couldn't have them myself, and because I'm queer, so you know that's not an option. And then when I met my wife, you know, within the first two months of dating, she asked if I wanted to have kids, and I said, Well, yeah, but you know, I'd kind of assumed it wouldn't happen. And she was like, Well, I really want to have kids too, and that's a deal breaker level thing for me is that I want to have kids, and I was like, Well, I'm down with having kids. So we got married the fall of 2016, 15, 16. I don't know. It's been three years this <laughs> fall. Yeah, yeah, we got we got married. The next spring, we started trying. So we used intrauterine insemination (IUI) with an anonymous donor that we got from a bank, an open donor. So there are closed donors and there are open donors, and we went with an open donor, which means when our daughter turns 18 he has to have contact with her once. Hmm. Beyond that, it's up to them. And closed donors, you never know who they are. And you don't have the option of meeting them. Okay. And, you know, we felt like we couldn't take that away from our daughter. I mean, just to get an updated medical record, if that's what she wants. You know, we felt like she needed to have that agency and to be able to make that decision as to whether she would meet this person who played a role in her creation, however small and very small. But, you know, That's there. So we used a known donor and we could afford three tries. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. on the third try, when we had pretty much given up and decided we were going to foster to adopt and it was going to be great, this was just where our journey was going,
0: Hillary got pregnant. That is how I became a parent Mm -hmm. once upon a time. Once upon a time. So I want to go back because you said something that I think is really important not to just skip over. You said, I learned to love myself and stop hating who I am. And this was after seven years of the bipolar diagnosis and dealing with so much identity and struggle. How did that shift? Because I remember being a teenager. Obviously, our stories are not the same, but the journey of not hating yourself is one that's real for so many women. So can you tell us more about that? And people, let me say women and people.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Yes, Coming out is the crux of my journey. It's that turning point but it's a slow turning point. You know, it's not like I came out and was like, Oh, wonderful rainbows and unicorns. I love myself now. You know, I came out and I started to give myself permission to work on accepting who I am. And it's still a work in progress. But one day I was able to say I'm gay and accept that that is part of who I am. And I learned more about who I am and worked on self-awareness and, you know, years of therapy. I mean, it's been 10 years since I came out, so. It's taken me a long time to get to where I am. It's been those tiny minuscule baby steps, you know, of saying, no, it's okay to be me. It's okay to be a super queer individual who uses they, they, them pronouns and has a wife and, you know, is someone who's comfortable, like I'm comfortable going to where I grew up in rural Northeast Missouri and being myself, you know, and it's been a slow journey, but I'm so much more closer to where I want to be than I ever thought I would be.
0: Were there any major moments or turning points that really catapulted this path or journey? Were there experiences that you had to have to kind of shake loose some of your thinking or wake up in some way? There have been so many that they don't stand out.
1: A big one, I've been at Starbucks for four years now. And that was the first job that I ever really felt like I could do well. I am good at Starbucks. I am good at customer service. I am good with people. I met my best friend. She was a customer and now she's my best friend. You know, that's how I operate. And for the first time in my life, I felt like I was good at something. Not just mediocre, not just competent, but good. Meeting my wife, the impact she has had on my journey is magical because right before I met her, I I had backslid a lot and my mental health was not good. And, you know, we met. And she has shown me a love that has taught me how to love myself in a way that I didn't think was possible. And her belief in me has helped me to grow as a person immensely. I wouldn't be doing the work I'm doing today if it weren't for her. In part, the practicality of it in that she introduced me to the LGBT teen group that got me started and also in the having the courage to have a dream and to follow it and to not just follow the status quo.
0: How did you meet? Uh, Okay, Cupid. I love online dating stories.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Uh, that's no, uh, I was scrolling. Okay, Cupid in the middle of the night one night, you know, kind of depressed had promised one of my good friends that I wouldn't date for three months. And I came across her profile and was like, Oh, my God, I have to message her. And so I sent her a message talking about one of my favorite queer YA authors and she didn't reply. And so I reached that point where I was like, okay, okay, you know, you're okay. Gave myself that pep talk. The next day she messaged me back. She'd been sick. And so we talked for like two weeks and we reached that point where it was like, it's do or die. We have to go on a date or it's just never going to go anywhere, you know, mm-hmm. but I literally had $5 in my bank account yeah, and it was in
0: the middle of a snowstorm in February. So it's not like you could be like, let's go on a I hike. Could, I was like,
1: yeah, let's <laughs> I was like, I can't even ask her to go for a walk somewhere. Like, yeah. What am I going to say? Hey, you want to go walk around the mall? <laughs> Let's go hiking Luckily, in a snowstorm. <laughs> right? Luckily, she asked me to go see a musical at a local theater. And we went as a friend date because she had been hooked up by friends with someone else later and was like, it's a friend date. I don't date two people at once. And I was like, okay, that's cool. You're really awesome. Halfway through the date, it stopped being a friend date, except I didn't realize it until she bought me wine at intermission. Um, I know. I was like, oh, I got wine. That's a go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Um, From there, we were stereotypical lesbians and I, you know, didn't officially move in for a year, but basically moved in after about three weeks. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Okay, what does it mean to be a stereotypical lesbian? So
1: there's a big joke about lesbians U-Hauling or moving in together very early in relationships. It's a stereotype that's there and that honestly is based in truth. (laughs) Of course, not everyone, but a lot of the queer couples I know
0: who are lesbian moved in very early. Okay, I didn't know that. So thank you for explaining. Yeah, no, it's a a thing. (laughs) It's a thing. Move fast. Okay, so and then within two months of dating... She said, you know, I want kids. That's a deal breaker for me, which I love, by the way, because I did that to my husband within three days of dating. (laughs) But I had gotten so tired of online dating where, you know, you have to go through the pretense and like the posturing and the dating and the this. And I just said, look, listen, I want kids. Kids are going to be in my life. I don't know if I can biologically have them. But even if I can't, I'm going to foster them or adopt them or like teach high schoolers or they're just going to be in my life. And if you don't want that, let's not date.
1: (laughs) I I remember like Hillary and I were walking downtown. We were on the main road by the brand new apartment complexes when she I like I remember this conversation in detail, Mm. which is really interesting to me why it stands out so much. But I think it was the moment that I realized, okay, this is real. You know, we're not playing in a relationship. We're talking about our future Mm. together.
0: And then you moved in together within a year. You said you were kind of living together before that, sort of. Yeah. And when did you get married? Okay. So we
1: were together two and a half years before we got married.
0: Do you mind me asking? I just have so many questions, but did you do it like a traditional wedding marriage? What was that? Did you have a conversation about it?
1: So we decided in December that we were going to have some sort of ceremony. We wanted to have a big party to celebrate with our friends, but we weren't going to have a ceremony because it wasn't legal in Missouri to get married. Right. And so, you know, we got engagement rings. We started planning this massive party. We were planning for September and then June rolls around and all of a sudden the Supreme Court says, hey, marriage is legal everywhere. And we were like, well, I guess we're getting married now. We should like get a certificate and find someone to marry us. So we did. So Hillary's brother got ordained by three different churches because he's in Sweden and wanted to be sure that his bases were covered. (laughs) I love so that. so Graham performed the ceremony and it was me and Hillary, my parents, her parents, and we each had a best friend and a photographer who was also a good friend. So there were ten of us. We had a wonderful little ceremony at a local park and then had a giant party. Like two hundred and fifty people, cake, dancing, latte bar, the whole nine
0: yards. So fun. I have all of these mixed feelings about weddings and, you know, the institution of marriage, but I love parties. Like, I think a good party is just...
1: We were like, you know, the wedding is a small point, and that's a commitment between the two of us that grants us some legal rights. But I want to have a party.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. We ended up having two parties. (laughs)
1: Yes, yes, I support that.
0: Okay, so I want to ask you about the business that you're building, because you have a day job, right? You work at Mm -hmm. Starbucks. But your day isn't over at one o'clock when you get home from your shift. I know that you are building another business. Can you share with us what that is and how you got started doing it?
1: Yeah, so the best way I have found to describe what I do is that I am your business's gay best friend.
0: Such a good tagline. So, isn't, it the,
1: isn't it the best? And it's like, one of those things that like, it came to me when I was having one of those major stress breakdowns where I was going, what am I doing? No one's going to hire me. This is the worst thing ever. Why did I decide to do this? Ugh. Oh, I'm your business's gay best friend. Yes, that's exactly what I am. <laughs> yeah. So basically, I do website audits to be sure that the language and visuals on your website are following best practices and are really legit and looking good it's really important because we do look at your website and judge you based on that as to whether we will hire you and whether we will work with you. And then like going through intake forms, HR forms, consulting for books. I'm about 10 months into the business. So I'm still kind of in that early playing around, figuring out what people want stage, which I'm trying to embrace that it's fun. And that I'm just playing and that's okay. (laughs) But yeah, you know, doing in-person trainings you know, I'm living my dream job. and I'm making it happen. And it's so exciting. I kind of fell into it. What do you mean? So my wife, when we met was running an LGBT teen group here in Columbia. And so she needed another adult one night because, you know, obviously there have to be two adults with the teenagers. And so I went with her and, you know, never stopped going because queer teens are awesome. Then I started to get asked to be on some committees around town you know, as the gay one. And then I got asked to do a presentation at a local high school and I fell in love with it. I was going to get my master's in social work and work in the nonprofit sector somewhere, you know, in a very similar vein to what I'm doing. And, you know, at that time, my wife was listening to a lot of creative entrepreneur podcasts. And so I started listening to them too and realized that maybe there's an avenue to do this just on my own. Mm -hmm. Maybe I don't have to get the credentials. Maybe I don't have to ask permission to be an expert. Maybe I am an expert because I'm genderqueer and have lived this life. And because I've worked with these teenagers and seen what they deal with. And because I've been scared to go to the bathroom. Because I've gone through paperwork that sucks. Maybe my experiences are enough to make me an expert. And so I started doing more and more trainings for free. And realized that maybe I should get paid for my time and energy. And it's kind of worked from there. I started a blog about LGBTQ and mental health and my experiences, very much a personal blog. Stumbled upon an amazing coach who got my mindset in the right place. And what do you mean by that? I'm trying to think of the best way to word this. I didn't believe in myself. Mm -hmm. I always saw myself as an idea person, someone who had the ideas, but not the follow through. And so I had to learn to believe in my ability to follow through. And learn to believe that I do have the answers within myself and that I do have the capabilities to make things happen and to create something out of nothing, even though I've always thought of myself as a follower and as someone with great ideas that never go anywhere. Because mm-hmm. that's what I was told all my life that it was, you know, part of being bipolar was that I have all the ideas, but I never follow through. And that was a story that I've been told for a very long time. And so combating that you know, took a lot of work to get my mind to be like, Oh, wait, yeah, no, I can do this.
0: Yeah, that was a big journey. I know that so many people can identify with that, too, because I have been writing on the internet for a long time. And yet earlier this morning, I was still looking at Columbia Journalism Schools programs to see whether or not I needed a credential to be a writer on the internet. Like, (laughs) what? Why? I don't understand what happens sometimes in our minds. But Yeah, that's a big one. Being able to realize that your experience, your life experience has given you enough credentials to be able to talk to something and speak to something. And I've read your blog and some of your posts have been widely shared. And one of the ones I really loved was the one where you talk about being in women's groups. So, you know, we're in one of those women's groups together. I'm sure you're in many different groups. But Whenever you go into a woman's group and people write, like, I'm going there and I want to write a post to people and I want to say, how do you do this thing? And I write, hey, ladies, can you talk about what your experience is around that and why it can be challenging?
1: Yeah. So I identify as genderqueer. I don't see myself as male or female, or I'm in some way both male and female, or I'm just not a man or a woman by how society defines it. Hey, ladies is just really uncomfortable for me. And yet I acknowledge that many times I voluntarily put myself in women's spaces. And it's this complicated balancing act of, I was raised female, so I'm more familiar with the female experience. We assume a lot of spaces are female exclusive in the creative entrepreneur world when maybe they're not. And, you know, seeing, hey, ladies over and over again, you know, I immediately scroll on because I don't feel like that's for me even if somebody could provide a wonderful service for me. And so it's kind of this like balance of it's cool to have a target market. You know, you have to have a target market and know who you're talking to. But you also have to embrace that there are going to be outliers and that non-binary people do exist. And are you being inclusive of trans women when you say that you're for women? Are you being inclusive of, you know, feminine of center trans people? So like people who maybe were born male And don't identify as women, but identify as more feminine in nature. Is it about your target market being women or men? Or is it about your target market being feminine or masculine? I'm just kind of challenging the status quo and the way we think about that. Because I'm a very feminine person. My personality is very feminine. So I feel much more comfortable in women's
0: spaces. Mm -hmm. But
1: what about the people who may not feel like they have that entryway because they were born female?
0: Right. You know? And as somebody who hosts a group that is predominantly for women, although women asterisks, because I never really exclusively say that except for in one place, because it's startup pregnant. So I talk about the feminine side of our parenting journey. Mm -hmm. But I have to remember when I'm in the group and I'm posting that I'm not saying, hey, ladies, hey, women, hey, mamas, hey, moms, because there's also people in there who aren't parents, but want to be in the group, which they're welcome to join. And there are people who don't necessarily identify to the binary, both sides. So what are some things that people can say? I mean, I have a few brainstorms of my own, but you probably have the book on this. What are some things that people can say to be more inclusive and more aware? Hey, friends is great for that specific
1: setting. It's just, hey, friends, you know, it's inclusive, it's casual, it's natural it works you know and i really like in some groups they have like nicknames for people who are part of the group that isn't gendered
0: hmm. you
1: know i like that as an entry point to say hi and this is you know who i'm addressing i'm addressing this group
0: that's interesting so the group has more of an identity than the gender
1: exactly exactly yes.
0: yeah and so earlier in this episode i had said you know women and then i said well actually i mean people which is one of the ways that we can accidentally Gender something instead of just getting back to the fact that someone's a person, and it gets really complicated because there's also the gendering that happens, right? Mm -hmm. How we apply the cultural gender to people. But oh man, it's a hey, I did it again. Oh man, yeah, Um, it's (laughs) it's everywhere. (laughs) It's so
1: ingrained. It's so you know, and we don't even think about it. Like I actually got called out about a year ago for saying, hey, guys, all the time. Mm -hmm. And that was like in this queer teen space that one of the fellow co-coordinators was like, hey, actually, maybe don't say, hey, guys, all the time. And I was like, oh, I'd never even thought of that. And so I worked really hard to stop saying, hey, guys. And now I say, hey, y'all, all all the time. And (laughs) it works. Changing the language you use is not always super easy. It takes some effort. It takes some brain work. It takes practice, but it makes a world of difference.
0: Yeah. It takes energy. You know, it takes thought at the end of the day. I think it comes down to kindness. I was like, okay, thinking about these people and what is it like? Like, What is it like? It's all about respect. Yeah.
1: Like I don't care what somebody's beliefs are about, Where I'm spending the afterlife. I do care about what rights they think I should have, but (laughs) in general, like treat people with respect. You know, use the proper name, use their pronouns, even if it's different than how you knew them before, because that's respecting them and respecting their journey and where they are. You know, a lot of teenagers who are figuring out who they are because they're teenagers, they just happen to have this added component of looking at gender or sexuality. And you know, we have kids who have different pronouns every week, but we use the right pronouns based on what they say at the beginning of our meeting every week. Yeah. It takes effort. But, you know, we want to meet these kids where they are. We want to meet people where they are on their journey. One of the biggest revelations I've had in the last three years is that my parents have to come out too. Hmm. And that I have to give them permission to choose how and when to come out as the parents of a queer child. That's so interesting. Can you talk more about that? Yeah. So I grew up in very rural Northeast Missouri. We're talking the entire county has 5,000 people in it. Like my graduating class from high school was 66 people. So super small town, super rural. Everybody knows everybody. Everybody's known everybody their whole life. And my mom retired recently, but she is a school librarian. And so there was this kind of tension of, you know, not feeling like she could be out about me because of the community she's in. And that was really hard for me for a long time, but she has her own journey too. And these are the people she has to live with. And unfortunately, some of these people might judge her because I'm queer. Doesn't make it right, but that's the truth of the matter. And she should have the agency to decide who and when and how she tells people that I have a wife and a baby. Hmm. It's not perfect, but I can't make that decision for her.
0: That's so interesting. And it speaks to how interconnected we are and how our story affects the other people in our lives. And then they integrate it into their lives. And how do we kind of navigate not just these linear paths of individuals, but all of the interconnectedness we have?
1: My story is my story. But my parents have a story too. And my story is a part of their story. Yeah. But they have the agency to tell their own story.
0: It's true. Something you wrote that I really liked. You said, We all have agency and we all have things to come out about. Can you talk about this too? Like, what does it mean for everyone to have things to come out about? I know we're touching on this now with your parents' story. Yeah.
1: So, I mean, like, that's one of my big things is that, you know, coming out is crucial to the LGBT story. And I don't want to take away that experience. But we're all in a closet in some way, you know, like, even if it's something small and simple. Like the music you listen to, you know, I listened to Christian Ska from the late 90s. That's something that I keep in the closet sometimes because it's a little bit embarrassing. But it's all about being authentic. And we all have these things that we put away and we hide because we're ashamed of a part of who we are. And that's what coming out is about, is about embracing the wholeness of yourself, even the parts that maybe don't seem to go together, even the parts that maybe you don't have figured out. You know, I'm an elder at my church. Which is still really confusing to me (laughs) because I'm, you know, a queer, pretty much agnostic person who just found a faith community that really resonates. But that's part of who I am. And I can't be in the closet about the part of me that loves this faith community, you know, where it would be something that would be very easy for me to just kind of brush to the side or not really talk about. You know, it's about owning who you are and all the facets of yourself. And, you know, we all have things we hide.
0: But why are are we hiding them? And I think one of the important distinctions here is there are things that we may have, you know, fear, trepidation about. Like, I don't really love singing in front of other people, but I love singing. Yeah. Yeah. And that's something that's hard for me to come out about. But it's not culturally shamed or looked down upon. Yeah. It's not like other people would reject me like on some senses, they might be like, you're a bad singer. And that would feel like rejection <laughs> to me. But it's not like widespread rejection in the way yeah. that the LGBTQ community and other communities can feel such toxic, it's venomous it's, hatred.
1: <laughs> it's different, but similar. Right. It's very different. It's Saying I like Christian Scott from the '90s is not going to, you know, for example, cause my sister to no longer want me in her life. Whereas saying that I'm getting married to a woman did. Mm, right. It's different. But when you look at it on the very personal, very individual level, it's very similar.
0: We can all understand that experience because yeah. that happens to so many of us. Yeah. Oh, so this new business that you're building on the side—when do you work on it? And how do you carve in the time and how has it been kind of feeling like, oh, wow, I've got this business that's growing?
1: Yeah. So right now I'm working Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Sunday nights at Starbucks. So I have all day Monday and then half of the day Tuesday, because my wife either works noon to nine or works eight to noon and then five to nine. So that time that she's home is us time. But basically I have all day Monday. And then after one thirty Wednesday, Thursday, Friday and I just hustle it out. I make my to-do list and I go through it, you know? And yeah, I'm starting a podcast. By the time this airs, it will be out. It's going to be called All the Letters thanks to someone brilliant helping me with the name. That's a good name. I know. (laughs) (laughs) You know, that's taking up a lot of my time and energy right now, but I'm super excited about it. And like being passionate about what I'm doing. I mean, I'm really kind of working nonstop because, you know, I'm in Facebook groups posting stuff in the evening or after my daughter goes to bed. But for the most part, it's these afternoons, you know, like I worked until 11 today and I'm here on this call now. And after this, I'm going to do some bookkeeping and then I'll go pick the daughter up from daycare and cook dinner and just go nonstop. But I'm building
0: my dream job. One of the things that's so cool about what you do and the way that you're doing it is there's such a myth out there in the entrepreneurship world that like, actually, it may be in the startup world. And the whole Silicon Valley lore that you have to somehow like be dedicated and completely focused and work 24 seven and you have to hustle all the time and eat ramen noodles and work out of a garage. And you're also young and white and male, you know, that's the the fable, the story, the fantasy Mm -hmm. and parents and people who have side hustles are like, first of all, ha ha to that ever being a reality. Yeah, you're doing it in the side hustle, which is such a strategic way of building a business. And it's a way that so many businesses start, they start as side projects, they start as tests, they start as iterations, you don't always know where you're going next. You're like, this is what I'm doing. This is what I'm building. I'm your business's gay best friend. Let's figure out a way to work together.
1: Exactly. You know, and that's where it's in my mind Starbucks is my side hustle. Oh, um, I like that. Thank you yeah, for reframing you know, Yeah, like Starbucks is my side hustle. It's I go, I make lattes, I run the shift, I come home and I get to work. You know, but Starbucks provides benefits at 20 hours a week. Right. I'm staying at Starbucks as long as I can afford to. <laughs> <laughs> Cuz benefits are expensive. And you know, like Starbucks has been a big part of me gaining the confidence to be able to run this business. And I'm really grateful to the company. I can't say enough. If anybody from Starbucks is listening, I'd love to speak at a corporate event someday. (laughs) (laughs) Do it. Sign them up. That's one of my big goals is to speak keynote at a Starbucks corporate event.
0: You would be great
1: at that. Yeah. My younger sister passed away from ovarian cancer six months after I started at Starbucks. Oh. And Starbucks is what got me through that time. Like My manager worked with me while I was at home with my sister on hospice. And I had Starbucks to come back to. I had people who were depending on me and counting on me and I couldn't fall to pieces because I had Hillary and because I had Starbucks.
0: So this wasn't too long ago. It was
1: the year before Hillary and I got married. So it's been four years this fall. She was 27. Oh, sweetie. It's almost 27. Yeah. No, I had an interesting interesting 6 months because my younger sister passed away and my older and sister and I decided that we were going to work on repairing our relationship. Hillary and I got engaged and then I sent my sister an email saying, you know, hey, I really want to have a relationship with you. Let's work on this. Here's where I am. Here's what my life's going to look like. Hillary and I plan on getting married. We want to have kids. And she sent me an email back saying I want no communication. And I've seen her 3 times since then. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Breaks my I need heart. To write it There's nothing harder than losing people, and they can still be alive, and you can lose them, you know? Yeah. And that's really, really hard.
1: Yeah. I lost both my sisters within the span of six months.
0: How do you take care of your mental health? I know it's an ongoing thing for you. How did you cope and survive? Lots of therapy, staying on my medication. I've tried
1: to cut down my medication with my psychiatrist helping me. I've tried to go down, but. I've found the perfect balance. Like I'm staying where I am because it's working. And a lot of throwing rocks at trees, that's what I do when I get mad as I go to the creek and throw rocks at trees and being in nature and giving myself permission to have bad days. Like some days I just don't work on the business at all. I go to Starbucks and I come home and I take a nap because that's what I need to do for myself. Because if I try to hustle too hard, I'm gonna fall to pieces Yeah. and that's not gonna help anyone. Knowing when to reach out to friends and knowing when I need support and taking that support and, you know, going to work in a coffee shop instead of working at home when I need to not be alone Hmm. and calling my therapist. When I see those first tiny little signs that I'm starting to lose it, I'm still figuring out how to grieve my sister. Both of them, the older one, I've kind of, I have peace with that because I have done everything I can to repair that relationship and it didn't happen. And that's on her you know, but my younger sister, she was my biggest ally. She's the only one in my family who ever called me Mason, or even tried to use they, there, them pronouns. Yeah. Like, she's gone. And the only aunt my daughter will ever know is a tombstone in a cemetery.
0: The thing that always comes up on this podcast that doesn't surprise me now that I've done it long enough is that To invite birth into our lives, to invite life is to invite death. And we always end up talking about both of them. And like, I think sometimes my two year old has a better understanding of that cycle than I am willing to allow myself to have. Because everything, everything dies and it's wild and hard and heartbreaking.
1: I wouldn't push myself as hard as I do to do this work if my sister hadn't died. Because that experience showed me that life is short, you know that I'm here for a reason and I've found my reason. So I'm just going to keep working to find a way to make it happen. Whatever that looks like. I don't care how I do this work. I am meant to do work in educating people about the LGBT community. I am meant to do this work. I have to do this work. I am compelled to do this work. And I'm gonna do it no matter what it looks like. I'm just gonna try and find a way to get paid to do it. <laughs> so that oh, you I
0: can't <laughs> You will get paid to do this. I have no doubt. I have already looked at your website and seen your what is it, website brainstorm, website review?
1: Yeah, website audits.
0: Website audits, yeah. that's the word. And to me, I was looking at it from such a, a singular angle, but there was a, a moment two years ago, three years ago where I wisened up to the fact that a lot of the places I was going on the internet, all of the sales pages had all white people on them. Mm-hmm. And then it made me more and more uncomfortable over time. I was just like, ah, we got to, this is, once yeah. you see it, you can't stop seeing it. Mm-hmm. But I was a 30 year old and it took me that long to see it. And there's a lot that we all need to take off our blinders and learn what our biases are. And so, I mean, the time, it's so fresh, it's so right now. The Me Too movement yeah. has shifted so many things about. What is okay and acceptable about work in today's world? So I'm just saying your work is so useful. It's been really interesting doing research.
1: And there was a marketing study done on Generation Z, so 13 through 20-year-olds. Less than half identify as exclusively heterosexual. The LGBT teen group I work with here in Colombia, you know, we have 25 to 30 teens a week in a city of, you know, about 100, 150,000 Which isn't a huge percentage, but all but three of them use they, they, their, them pronouns. What are we as business owners doing to be prepared for this next generation of consumers and employees? And
0: how many people are we losing by not...
1: Exactly. You know, because there are companies where I will never, ever spend my money. Yes. Ever. And there are companies where I am like, let me throw you all my dollar bills. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's sometimes very small things that you don't see if you don't know to look for it. And I know to look for it.
0: And you've seen it and you've looked for it and you've lived it. And then you help other people take their sunglasses off or their blinders off. Yeah, it's just such a cool service you offer. And I can't wait to see how it develops over the next six months and 12 months. Like since January, it's changed so much and
1: developed so much. It's really exciting and fun to just kind of like I had the revelation the other day that I have to look at my business developmentally like a baby. My business is 10 months old, starting to stand up a little bit definitely not walking or, you know, maybe taking one step, you know, like I have to have patience with my business because I can't force it to be something that it's not ready to be yet.
0: Yep. That's so smart. Mason, where can people find you on the internet? And what's your website? Tell us where we can find you
1: www.themasonaid.com.
0: Love it. Are you on Twitter or Facebook or anywhere else?
1: Um, I rock Facebook. I believe Facebook is the Masonade and Instagram is just Masonade.
0: All right. We'll link those up in the show notes for people so you can find out more about them. Mason, thanks yeah. for being here. Thank you for having me. I promised at the beginning of the episode to tell you a little bit more about the pumping journey and about how Aeroflow Breast Pumps works. They are the sponsor of this episode. So for all of you breastfeeding and pumping mamas, here is the info that you wanted. Aeroflow Breast Pumps makes the process of getting a breast pump covered through your insurance as easy as possible. They have dedicated and informed breast pump specialists to help you navigate insurance by taking care of the paperwork, the phone calls, and the prescription requests so that you can take it easy. They're available by phone, text, or email to answer any questions you have during this exciting time in your life. One of the trickiest things is the timing of everything. A lot of insurance plans only allow you to get a pump within 30 days of your due date. Let me tell you, figuring out when that baby is going to arrive and then getting everything done within these exact time frames can be really hard. They take care of everything, including contacting your physician for a prescription, recommending the best breast pump options for you and your lifestyle billing and processing those insurance claims and shipping the breast pump to your door free of charge. The entire process is totally free. So if you want to work with them to get your breast pump, go to aeroflowbreastpumps.com startup, and they will get you started right away. Thanks for being a sponsor of Working Pumping Mamas, Aeroflow Breast Pumps. And you know, I always say this and I mean it, Leave us a review on iTunes if you like our show. It takes a few seconds and it really does help us a lot. If you want more of what we're talking about, go over to startuppregnant.com and get on our email list. We send out a weekly newsletter with time-saving tips for parents and entrepreneurs, and I always include a weekly gadget or tool or something awesome that we've stumbled upon to help make your life just a little bit easier. And as always, you can reach out to us at hello at startuppregnant.com. We love hearing from you.